So if you'll recall, for those of you who were with us last week, we started in on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, somebody came up to me the other day, yesterday actually, and said, you know, I'm from this faith tradition. We've been saying the Lord's Prayer our entire life. Finally, somebody taught me what it's about. Thank you. So if you've known the Lord's Prayer your whole life, but you've never really heard it taught on, um, you can go online and, and watch the video that covers the first half. We're moving into the second part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, prayer today. But the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 starts in verse 9. Today it's important that I give you a piece of verse 8, what happened right before the prayer. Here's what Jesus said. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Then He said, pray then in this way. And I'd like you to join me. Let's put the Lord's Prayer up here and you can join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let me hear you. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, so last week was verses 9 and 10. We'll get into verse 11 today. It says, give us this day our daily bread. Why do we have to pray that? We just saw in verse 8, he already knows what we need before we even ask him. We always think that when we pray, we're like informing God about something. Like he doesn't already know. God knows what you're going to pray tomorrow, even though you don't know. So why pray? If God knows everything we need, why do we pray? It's an interesting question. I believe we pray for a few reasons. One of which is to demonstrate and show who we depend on. Who we rely on. God gives us our daily bread. It'd be good and noble and just to acknowledge that He gives us our daily bread. But here in America, most of us have our cupboards full. And it's a lot harder to pray, give us our daily bread, when we got a month's worth of food in the cupboard. Now, in a lot of places, people are praying for their daily food because they don't have their daily food, and it's real easy to pray then. But I'm dealing with Americans. We just went through Thanksgiving. We can't cram anything further into our refrigerator. So how do we pray give us this day our daily bread when we're doing all right? Well, there's a couple things. And the first harkens back to last week, us. We're not just praying for our tummies to be filled. We're praying for our tummies to be filled. Not everybody here has a job. Not everybody's cupboards are full. We talked a lot about us last week. We'll talk a little bit more about us later. But I think when our cupboards are full, it's a lot harder to understand that prayer, to, to appreciate it, to embrace it as our own. But then I started thinking, and my mind was brought back to this exact same situation where God warned the children of Israel that someday their cupboards would be full. And don't forget, here's what he said. This is Moses talking. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, 
to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a large, beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware. Take note, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. It was real easy for them to pray as slaves. But God says, I'm bringing you into cities you don't even have to build. You're going to move into houses that already got the TVs and the VCRs and the sofas and the refrigerators and the three-car garage. Your yard's going to be groomed and planted. Don't forget how you got it. God has given us an abundance. Don't forget who gave it to you. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. I've got a family member who's not walking with the Lord, and he got a great job recently. And I told him, God loves you. God blessed you with that job. He may not honor God for that. So I wanted to remind him that even though he doesn't walk with God, God still loves him, and God still gave him that job. So maybe your cupboards are full, but they're full because God stuffed them for you. You're saying, but I work hard. But God gave you the job and the health and the ability to work hard and let you be born in a, a country that's only got 10% unemployment when in other parts of the world is 90% in some places. We're doing great to thank God. So God wanted to warn the children of Israel never to forget him. And he set all this stuff into motion so that they wouldn't forget. Not just that he exists, but that he's active, he's involved, and that he's done things for us. Fills our cupboards. And he gave them all these practices, like three times a year, go to Jerusalem and celebrate a feast of thanksgiving. Uh, in your houses, do this. On your clothes, do that. So I'm going to share with you three things that God gave the children of Israel so they would never forget. I'm just giving you three out of scores. And they all come from one set of scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Starts off, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel. Listen. Pay attention to what I'm going to say. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And here's where it starts getting interesting. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children... You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your gates. You shall bind them or wrap them on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. In just a minute, I'm going to show you something that will fulfill that. But before I do, I want to hit the first one. Can't wait to take these out, by the way. You shall teach them diligently to your children. When you lie, when you stand, when you walk, when you sleep, when you get up. Basically, all the time. How do we not forget God? By always talking about God. It's that simple. So you're walking down the street one day, and you see a bumper sticker. And it's some nasty bumper sticker that says something ungodly or stupid. It's a teachable moment. You're walking down the street, you see a fish. Ah, you know what that fish means? No, Dad, why do they got a fish on their bumper sticker? That means they believe in God. They love Jesus. Supposedly, anyway, that's what it means. 
don't know these people. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Let me tell you, some people say they believe in God and they act all religious, but they'll treat you poorly. You can't just trust somebody because they say they believe in God. Teachable moment. Bumper sticker. Bumper stickers will help driving down the street. And you see all sorts of statements on bumper stickers. Walking through the mall. It's Halloween time. Gruesome faces up in the window. Bloody mask. Hate those things. Teachable moment. Why do you think these people like this? Why do you think these people do this? Well, let me tell you what this holiday is about. Back in the old days, teachable moment. When you're walking by the way, when you get up, when you lie down. If we teach our children always about God, not only will they not forget about God, but we won't forget about God. By the way, maybe you don't have children. Teach mine. Teach theirs. We're always looking for kind-hearted people who love God to teach our children. Pray for those who run Kids Connection, the nursery, and Sunbeams. Support and encourage them, but don't rely upon them to educate your children. That's your job. They help and praise God for them helping. Jesus said, let little children come to me and don't hinder them because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. In fact, he even said, unless we become changed and become like little children, we won't even enter into the kingdom of heaven. First way to never forget God, even if your cupboards are full, don't stop talking about God. When you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you sit, when you stand. But then it said, and this is a confusing passage for most people, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Let me tell you how the Jewish community has interpreted that passage of Scripture. They have taken it literally for at least 2,200 years. See those straps on his arm and that thing on his head? In the New Testament, those are called phylacteries. He's got one on his bicep by his heart and one between his eyes up on his head. I'm going to show you a video in a minute somebody learning how to put these on because it's a big deal for religious Jews. When we walk towards the Western Wall, there's a cart right off to the side and they grab everybody or talk to everybody going by, are you Jewish, are you Jewish, are you Jewish? And if you say yes, they'll say, would you like to put on tefillin? That's what these things are called. Now, I will let you handle these tefillin if you promise to be very careful with them. Because the guy who gave them to me about 15, 20 years ago said they were over 200 years old. And I believe it. This one's already falling apart. The leather's not that supple anymore. But I would like you to see them. There are two. There's one for the head and one for the arm. And the one for the arm has X amount of uh, wrappings. It has to go over the hand, over the arm. It's done with a very meticulous... Something fell over there. Don't know what it was. Very meticulous um, way. There's a knot here and a knot here and a knot here, and they're supposed to spell out the name of God. So they wrap them in such a way, and then on the hand, it puts out the letter SH, which is Shin for Shaddai. Very meticulous. Josephus, who was a first century historian, wrote about these and said in his days it was already an ancient tradition. So 2,000 years ago, it was already an ancient tradition. The Maccabees, who preceded Jesus by about 150 years, 
They're referenced to having used these. So we know it goes back roughly 2,200 years. They're called tefillin. Jewish people call them tefillin. The Hebrew word for pray is tefillah. So prayer boxes, prayer things to help you pray. That's what tefillin means. But in the New Testament, they're called phylacteries. Phylacteries is based on a Greek word that really means almost like amulet or charm. So there's a school of thought that says some people wore these to ward off bad magic. They were superstitious when they put them on. I don't doubt that some people did do that. But that's not the point of them. The point of them is to remember God. Bind them on your arm as frontlets between your eyes. Now, I don't think that's really what Moses meant. I think it was a figure of speech. But nevertheless, that's a tradition that goes back 2,200 years to fulfill that. They're used during uh, morning prayers, but not on the Sabbath. There's certain prayers that are said with it. Let me just show you the video so you can get an idea. By the way, before you play that video... You're going to see just a, a guy who came by to the Western Wall, somebody grabbed him, showing him how to put on the things. In the background, during part of that video, you're going to see a guy walking backwards. That's just a bonus that I want to point out for you, because he doesn't want to turn his back on the wall. They go to that wall to pray to God. That represents God's presence, and they just back away from it. So let's take a look at the video. Yeah, you're right here, Lefty. Lefty? Okay, we're gonna learn how to put the fill in. Yeah, because you're lefty, you need your right hand. Right hand is the, is the weak hand. It's treating like a shit pit in the weak hand. But in Torah, say Yatcha Yatcha. In Hebrew, saying in English is to mean like the weak hand. Now you say the Bracha, Baruchata. Baruchata. Adonai. Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Asher Kiddishanu, Bemitzvotav, Vetzivanu, Laoniach, Filin. Amen. See that? We got three straps. Make sure you know the knot is close to the heart. We got one strap connecting between the bicep and the forearm. And we're going to have seven straps continuously. And then we stop by the wrist, we stop at the bone, and we just wrap around the arm. And just leave it there, just wrap if you want, or just leave it, but don't speak right now. This is the headpiece of the filling. Make sure when you put it on top, it has to go above the hairline. And then now it goes right behind the head. We're gonna go back to the handpiece. We're gonna do three straps on the middle finger. You want some picture, can you take some picture? Yeah, I got it. You can kill it now. Just keep wrapping around. I think we got the general idea. Those uh, fringes, it's another one of those reminders. God told the children of Israel that they had to have fringes on their garments. And they're wrapped and knotted in such a way to represent all 613 of the laws found in the Old Testament. The do's and the not-to-do's, all of them are represented in there. The idea is don't forget. 
When you walked in, if you came in through our main door, we share this building with Congregation Beth Sar Shalom. One of the first things we did is we put a mezuzah on the door. So on your way out this morning, go out and take a look at the mezuzah. Somebody made this one, gave it to me as a gift. I like it a lot because it's so southwestern looking. It's got that shin letter that stands for Shaddai and a little groove in the back to put in the parchment, which is you put in like four passages of scripture that one of them which says you shall inscribe these on the doorposts of your houses. So that passage of scripture I read to you said, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets for your eyes. They take that literally. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the law is put in here, and it's affixed to the doorpost. The idea is every time you walk into your house, you get a reminder. This is God's house. God gave me this house. In fact, many Jewish people will reach up, kiss, very respectful of God's name, God's word, and his blessings. I don't like religion over a relationship with God. But I think we could all use for a little bit of religion. Things that just could remind us about God. Traditions that we do day in and day out that help us connect with God. Whatever they may be. A lot of us, we develop our own. So, Give us this day our daily bread. Our cupboards are full. How do we not forget? Well, we remember, we remember where it comes from. And we do things, whatever they may be, to remind us that God is active in our lives. Teaching our children. That's one that passes from them to us. I'm not encouraging you to go home and get a set of these and pray, but come up with things in your life that remind you of God. You don't have to be Jewish to put one of these on your door. They're pretty cool. They come in different sizes and styles. They're neat. And they're a reminder every day you walk in through your door that God gave you your house and God is honored in your house. Give us this day our daily bread. Us. And you know, the more we pray that God would feed those who don't have food, perhaps we'll be more inclined to help just a little bit more. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, out of all the prayers that you would think would be personal, you'd think this one would say, forgive me my debts. But it's us again. As I pointed out last week, our relationship with God is communal. Yes, we need to have a personal relationship with God, of course. But then God immediately ties us to a body. We become a part of a body of people. A finger, a toe, a face, a nose, whatever. And we're no longer alone. We're part of a body. And so even the most intimate of our prayers aren't just for ourselves. Hey, if I ask God to forgive me my sins, and I don't pray for you, and your friends' sin, sins aren't forgiven, what good does that do me? And if I want God to make me holy and righteous, but not you, what good does that do me? And what good does that do you? Pray us. Forgive us our sins. But Steve, it doesn't say sins, it says debts. Yes, it says debts. Why? Why did he choose that word there? You're going to know in just a minute. I reminded you last week that Jesus' disciples came to him and asked him to teach him to pray. And this is the prayer he gave them. Now he says, one of the things I always want you to pray about is forgiveness of our 
debts. But why the word debts and not sins? Well, he taught on forgiveness. Let me teach you what he taught, then it'll make sense. There's two passages, and they're usually taught separately so that most people don't know that they go together. And they're constantly confused about forgiveness because they never read them together. I'm going to put them together and hopefully give some of you an aha moment. Here's the first one. You're going to know the second one. This one you may or may not know. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen to you, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So, Charles, as an example, let's say he does something horrible and I'm really mad at him and he hurt me and my family. I go to him, give him a chance to make it right. Notice I'm responsible for going to him. I'm not supposed to just go home Talk to my wife and say, you know that no good scoundrel, Charles, you know what he did. I hate that guy. I don't ever want to see him again. I hope he dies. No, no, no. He may not even know he hurt me. Chances are he does. So I go up to him after I've had enough time to chill out so I don't want to throttle him myself. <laughs> and why am I going to him? Because something's not right between two brothers in the body. And if there's nothing right here, everything's broken. So I'm going to do everything within my power to make it right. But I didn't do the wrong. So I'm going to him, the only guy who can make it right. And by going to him, I'm already expressing the fact that I'm willing to make it right. I want reconciliation. That's why I'm going to you. But dude, you've got to admit you've done wrong. You've got to apologize to me. You've got to make it right. Shut up, Steve. You're just an idiot. Take two witnesses, two people who know he did me wrong, saw him kick my cat, whatever. Yeah, Charles, man, you're in the wrong. We were there. Steve was just sitting there minding his own business. You came up and kicked his cat. We saw it. Man of God shouldn't behave that way, Charles. You know better than that. You owe this man an apology and $400 for the vet bill. Yeah, you're both a bunch of idiots. Get out of here. Get out of here. You don't leave it there. Now you go to the church. Pastor Mike, Pastor Jose, we got a problem. There's a guy in the church who's wronging his brother. There's discord. Others went to him, tried to make it right. He refused. So then the elders sit down and say, hey, man, what's going on? Did you really kick his cat? Yeah, I kicked his cat. Stupid cat. I hate cats. Dude, you can't go around kicking somebody's cat. Do you realize he had to go to the vet and pay $400 to get that cat examined? Oh, he didn't have to go. Cats bounce good. It's just a waste of money. Listen, it's on you. You need to apologize for kicking his cat. Pay his vet bill. Nah, I'm not doing it. If he refuses to listen to them, the two witnesses tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen to the church, as embodied in the elders, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Wow. You go to him, hoping he'll repent so you can forgive him. He won't. So you take two more, hoping he'll listen to other people. He won't. So you go before the authorities in your body. He won't. What do you do now? Now you go home and have dinner. You know, you don't have to have anything to do with him anymore, that stupid cat kicker. 
pray for him. Forgive us our debts. Pray for him that he'll come around and see. Then Peter came to Yeshua and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. The NIV says 77, but all the others say 70 times seven. Obviously, he's not giving him a number so that you can keep score. And as soon as he hits that number, you're done. The idea is, if somebody comes to you repentant, there's never a time when you turn them away, ever. A repentant person is always to be forgiven. So he tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. If they put that into modern English, a man came to him who owed him billions and billions and billions of dollars. So obviously he's telling a parable. Nobody owes that kind of money. I mean, this is more money than the entire economy of a big country. But the idea is, this man owes a debt he cannot possibly pay back. And he goes to the guy he owes it to, and he falls down on his knees and says, please be patient with me, I promise I'll pay it all back. Because the guy was going to sell his wife, his children, his estate to get some, recoup some of his losses. And the guy begs him, please don't, I'll make it good, I promise. And the master had compassion on him. He just said, you know what, forget about it. Debt free, you don't owe me a, t a penny. I'm forgiving you the whole thing. Have a nice day. Wow. So this guy leaves from there, and he finds somebody that owes him like a couple hundred bucks. And he grabs him by the throat and starts strangling him. Pay me what you owe me. Well, some people who saw him just get his huge debt forgiven now see this, and they go and tell the guy, did you know what your servant just did? You just forgave him billions and billions of dollars. This guy owes him a couple hundred bucks. He strangled him, threw him into debtor's prison. So the master summoned the servant back and said, is what I just heard about you true? Did I just forgive you billions and billions of dollars? And you strangled this guy because he owed you a few hundred bucks and you threw him in a prison? You are evil. Listen to the words of Jesus. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Whoa. See, we all focus in on the forgiveness part, but we miss the top part with the discipline and the bottom part of the failure to forgive. Why is Jesus so keen on that kind of forgiveness? Well, if the story offended you, you know. It's just not right that this guy went and grabbed this guy by the throat and demanded his chump change when he was just forgiven billions of dollars. It's just not right. God is the master. Our sin can't possibly pay him back for it. There's no way we can earn God's righteousness. No way. It's billions and billions and billions impossible. So in Jesus, he just says, repent and I'll forgive you. Free. But then, how can we not forgive somebody who kicked our cat? How can we not? It's a small thing compared to what he's just done for us. So I go to him, offer forgiveness three, four times. 
but he won't receive it. I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm done with it. Hopefully the guy's going to make it right someday. If he doesn't, that's his problem. I'm done. Forgiveness should always be offered to a repentant person. And what if the person doesn't repent, Steve? Then that's on them. You've offered to do your part. That's on them. You don't have to worry about it. It's not your burden. It's now theirs. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then it says, And do not lead us into temptation. That's us again. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lead us not into temptation. So we pray that God leads us not into temptation. But that's not all we have to do, right? The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. That's on us. Put on the whole armor of God. That's on us. We're not supposed to just pray. We're supposed to do the best we can. 2 Corinthians says we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. So we're supposed to fight the good fight. Do what we can to resist temptation. But on top of all that, we got to ask God for help. Because there's no way we can do this on our own. So how do we resist temptation? I mean, we pray, for, pray to God to deliver us from it, but how do we resist it? If you need to get creative, get creative. Let me show you this cool video clip. In the still of the night And baby, all I know My poor heart skips a beat When you're next to me In the still of the night He was young and handsome, probably wealthy based on where he was eating and the way he was dressed. How did she resist temptation? She got creative. It was hilarious. <laughs> I'm not advising you go do that. But get creative. If temptation comes your way, just find some cool way of getting rid of it, chasing it off, even getting some help. Invite a friend over for dinner. You know, get an accountability partner. I don't know what, what, what you're struggling with, but whatever it is, there's a way around it. There's a way out. In fact, the Lord himself said, with every temptation, he provides a way out. Look for that way out and pursue it. And sometimes it's very obvious. Joseph got grabbed by a woman that wanted to sleep with him. She was married. He had to pull himself out of his robe and run. That was his way of escape. He literally fled. Sometimes it's creative. Sometimes it's just get out of there. Duck and cover. 
All right. So the Lord's Prayer last week, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This week, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Now you know why he used that word. As we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever and ever. Amen. I'm not sure what your struggle is. But if you're not walking with the Lord, I can tell you what your biggest temptation is. And you may not even know it. I can tell you what your biggest problem is. It's ambivalence and faithlessness. That's what you need to pray to be delivered from. And if you've been a believer for several years, there's a good chance ambivalence is trying to creep back in. So pray. Ask God to deliver you from temptation. And then if it's ambivalence, ask yourself, what can I do to stop being ambivalent? And get plugged in. Do something. Get involved. Well, this is that... uh, Time of the month, once a month, we bring the men together for a man huddle right over here. So after services, um, Christian's going to lead us. Hey, are teenagers welcome or is this just for grown-ups? 18 and up. 18 and up. Man huddle over here right after services. Um, I do want you to know we've got a prayer room over here too. Deliver us from temptation. Give us this day our daily bread. Maybe you need prayer. We want to pray with you and for you. We will have people over here to pray with you. So if there's something going on in your life that you want people to pray with you, please join them over in the prayer room. The rest of the guys are going to meet us over here. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would look into each one of our hearts, touch us deep, and help us to walk with you. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.